Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for this morning and for this time to be together. Thank you, God, that you have gifted us with so much. We are truly a blessed people. And thank you, Father, that you've allowed us this morning to be awake and to be here, to gather with others, to get into your word, to sing, to to be the church, to be in worship. And yet, Father, I pray that this morning you would overwhelm us with a sense of gratitude that though it may be tough right now, it is not a difficulty that we go through without you. For you are near to us. We pray, Father, that today you would build us up in faith. You indeed would speak to us through the word. You would give us understanding. And we would be those that believe. We would be believers. We would be those who trust in our great God and Savior, Jesus. Father, we pray today. For you to work among us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. If you have your Bible, please turn to Exodus chapter 16. Exodus chapter 16. If you are using a pew Bible, the black Bible is right there in front of you. It's page 63. If you're using a pew Bible right there in front of you, the black Bible is page 63. Exodus chapter 16. Before I get started with Exodus, I want to just say a few things. I am thankful to be back. Been gone 16 days, left on July the 3rd, um, and, and just got back yesterday, and it is good to be back. The trip was awesome, mission trip was awesome, um, vacation with my family there was just as great. Um, certainly really tiring with four children in a third world country, um, but good, and I'm, and I'm glad to be back. And I'm, I'm thankful for our church. Um, you know, there, there wasn't a day that went by that I wasn't thinking of you all, even though texting from South America is very expensive. I was eager to still text with you all to let you know that I that I missed you. I'm thankful for the fact that you all love me and my family and that you pray for us and you let us go. Um, I'm thankful for a lot of things. I'm thankful that we have such a great uh, preacher in Troy. Troy, thank you for preaching those two weeks. I was able to listen to those. I hope that you take advantage of that, too. On our church website, we have every sermon. I've already listened to both sermons that Troy preached. I want to say thank you to Andy Huff for always making that happen. He's the one who gets them off the computer and puts them online immediately. Those are available to you all. You can listen to them in your car. Uh, I listened to them with, with headphones on just yesterday. Um, so I'm, I'm thankful. I'm thankful for those things. I'm thankful for your for your prayers. And I'm just thankful for a church that, that loves us, that seems to be a real church, that, that wants to love their pastor. And we feel that. And, I, and I'm thankful that, that we call this home. Um, we were gone 16 days and had a great time. But there, there's nothing like getting back to Fairdale, being there on Chieftain Drive, getting to our home and to our beds and all of those things. And it was fantastic. And I want you all to know that uh, truly in the, in the case of my family, uh, with our church family, absence makes the heart grow fonder. I mean that. We have missed you all and we're glad to be back um, with that said, Ecuador was was awesome. And we, we look forward here in, in the coming days and weeks to, to doing a full report so that y'all get to hear from everybody. For those of y'all that don't know, we just took 23 people to Ecuador from our church, had a, had a mission trip there. We left on July 3rd and came back on July 11th. And this was our fifth straight year sending a team from our church as the largest group that we have sent yet. Uh, and we had a great time. I want to tell y'all one story. There's a, there's a guy that we know there. His name is Maurice. We call him in Spanish as Mauricio. 
Um, and we have been with him every year. So five straight years we've been with this guy. He's 25 years old. He just graduated college. He's an awesome believer in Jesus. He, he's an intern there at the camp, works each summer. He's not full-time year-round, but he is there during the summer. Uh, and we've built a relationship with him. And, and this, this year... Um, we got to talking about how did he become a Christian? Because uh, in, in Latin America and South America, almost everybody is just a nominal Catholic. They, they say that they're Catholic. They're not really involved with anything, but just everybody is. And so I was asking him, you know, how did you how did you become a Christian and, and get saved and get involved in church with the way that you are? Um, and he said, have, have I never told you? Because I've known him now for five years. And I said, no, I don't, I don't think I have. And so one night we sat down and it was me and, and April Kirk. Um, and, and maybe somebody else, I can't remember, but we sat down and he, and he started to tell us, and he tells us this like big long story that took him about 10 minutes to tell us how he, how he became a believer in Jesus. Um, but as he was, as he was talking, he said two things. He said, one, I was at a park one day and a group of Americans came and his words were not, I'd never seen an American. He said, I'd never seen a white person. He said, I was probably seven or eight years old. I'd never seen a white person like y'all are in the States. He says, I was, so I was interested. And I went there and y'all had a little like Bible story, game time or whatever. And, and you gave me a Bible. He said, so the, for the first time, I was seeing that there were people out there that, that knew God and wanted other people to know God. He said, then it impressed upon me that somebody from the USA had come here to my country to do that. He said, that was huge in my life. He said, I went away thinking this is awesome. I've got me a Bible. I'm not, I'm not. He said he wasn't yet, you know, like a follower of Jesus. He said, but that was so huge in his life. And then he said about six or seven years later or or five years later, something like that, when he was about 12 or 13, a group came and passed out Operation Christmas Child Samaritan's Purse shoeboxes. Y'all know what those are. We've been doing that now every every Christmas, I think, for the last four years. The first year we we had a goal, I think, of like. 50 and we did that the next year like 100 next year like 125 and this last year we collected over 240 shoe boxes and these are shoe boxes that go as christmas presents to a third world country and each goes to a kid and we get to pack those and yet you send them off and each each package has to take seven dollars of shipping with it and you're always like well is anybody actually getting this you know where's it going how are we supposed to know and and april and i were brought to tears in ecuador when mauricio said they delivered to me a, a shoebox, an Operation Christmas Child shoebox. He said, I opened it up and it had a pair of socks in it. He said, we never have ever gotten new socks. He said, I was smelling them and they smelt new and they smelt like, he said, it smelt like the USA. And he said, and there was soap in there and there was a hairbrush in there. And, and, and I was so happy that I had gotten a present. He said, in our country in Ecuador, we love to give gifts to people like when a guest come, but in our family, you never get a present. He said, I've ne-, he said, I'm 25 years old. I've never gotten a birthday present or a Christmas present. We just don't do that. He said, we don't have enough money in our families to give birthday presents and Christmas presents. He said, we might have a meal. We're certainly loved. We love our family. We, we, get, we get hugs and, and we're loved. He said, but we just don't give presents the way you all do. He said, when I was 12 years old and somebody brought me an Operation Christmas Child shoebox, he said, God yet reminded me again that it is the followers of Jesus that are doing this. And, and I want to communicate that to you all. Two things. One, 
Our church is sending a group of people every year to places like that where we can share the love of God and tell people about Christ dying on the cross to forgive us of our sins. And then also we as a whole, every year working hard together as a group, every every one of you are, are pushing to get more shoeboxes here each Christmas. And I want you to know that, that April and I, we had heard other stories before, but April and I, April and I sat down in Ecuador just last week and, and listened to a 25-year-old man say that it was that shoebox at 13 years old that God used to bring me to Christ. And, and, I, and I want you all to hear that because what, what, what my experience is, especially in this last two weeks, is that God is working here. God is using our church in the community. People like you all are being built up. You're stronger in your relationship with God now than you were a month ago, a year ago, five years ago. God is growing our church as we are seeing more people coming and and finding life uh, in a relationship with Christ. But it's not just here. God is using our church beyond. We have people coming to visit our church now who live outside of Fairdale. And we have our church work extending now to places that aren't even in the USA. And I'm encouraged as the as the leader pastor of you all at how much God is working in us as a whole and individually. And I hope that's encouraging to you, too. I say all that to say thank you for sending our team to Ecuador. Thank you for allowing me to have a week of vacation. And thank you for being a church that knows how to love. With that said, we come back to the book of Exodus, chapter 16. And today's passage is about a subject that. That's just going to get at me. I hope it gets at you. It's one that we need to hear. It's about grumbling and complaining. I want to say here from the beginning that as I have studied on this and read on this, I have been reminded that I'm a I'm a complainer. And for those of you all that know me, you probably know that. And so let me say first that that I'm not preaching, you know, at any of you all necessarily about complaining and grumbling. I'm preaching to myself. But I want us to get to, which is clear in chapter 16 of Exodus, that when we complain, there's something worse going on. Certainly much worse than the circumstances. I ask in the bulletin, what is at the heart of our grumbling? What is at the heart of our complaint? Why are we really complaining? And I hope that today God will speak to your heart. That you will understand what it means to be one who Rests, trusts, depends upon him. Read with me, if you will, at Exodus 16. We're going to cover the whole chapter today. Building upon chapter 15 that Troy preached on just last week. In chapter 16, we have. They set out from Elam and all the congregation of the people of Israel came to the wilderness of sin which is between Elam and Sinai on the 15th day of the second month after they had departed from the land of Egypt. And the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. I want to stop right there for just a second and give a little background. What we have here is the people of Israel. They've been set free from Egypt. They've passed through the Red Sea. God has saved them that way. They're heading in the wilderness now to the promised land. God is has been providing for them and he's about to provide for them even more. We know God to be our provider. Jehovah Jireh is what they would say. God is a provider to us. 
and, and, and that's where they're going and they know his provision. And yet again, the whole congregation, verse two, of the people of Israel are grumbling. They are a, a frustrated, a disappointed, upset, unhappy people. And so they're complaining. But I want to remind you of the up and down roller coaster that they are in their lives. Chapter 15 is just about them rejoicing and singing a song. As I said, I went back and listened to Troy's messages. And I want to remind you a couple of the things that Troy said that, that come out from chapter 15. Troy said that true worship is not a method. There's not a certain way to do worship. What true worship is, is it's a reflection. It is a, true worship is a reflection on the person and work of God. And as you and I are able to reflect on who God is and what God's done when we are believers, we're led to worship. Worship is never something that we come into. Here's how we do it. I'm about to go do worship now. And that works. That's not worship. Worship is look who God is. Look what God's done. And, and then when you believe you're in all of that. And so you want to worship God. Troy, Troy brought that out, and that's coming from chapter 15. He says, worship is never a reflection. It does not come from a reflection upon our emotions, which are up and down, and our circumstances, which are up and down. Let's be reminded of that. There are going to be days for every one of us where our emotions are high and our emotions are low. That's normal. That's humanity. We're not always happy. We're not always sad. Some of us are a little more. Some of us are a little less. That's not worship. That's not an, a love for God. Our circumstances are going to be good, some are going to be bad. And, you know, a lot of times we, we talk about making good decisions. It is, it is a great advice that you have to make good decisions in life. But sometimes even when we make the right decisions, bad things happen. Accidents happen. Uh, troubles come our way. Things that we can't control come our way. So our circumstances are not what determine our happiness or, or not what determine our worship either. Worship does not come from those. Now, maybe you've been blessed with a great family, great job, just a lot of luck. And so your circumstances are pretty good. That is not what's causing you to worship. Maybe you've been blessed with a rough family. Notice I say blessed with a rough family. God gave you that. Maybe you have been blessed with, with difficulty in job or difficulty in finances. Your circumstances are not so good. That should not determine your worship or lack thereof either. And that's what, that's what Troy was bringing, bringing out. No, worship is, uh, comes from our reflection upon God, God, who He is, and God, and what He's done. Then in the next week, Troy reminds us, therefore, we cannot depend upon past victories. If, 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 if years ago, when you were a teenager, or you were a young adult, things were good for you because you had not hit the real world yet. Uh, and so your emotions and your circumstances weren't all over the place yet. And so then you were Christian, but, but now you're not. Well, let's remind ourselves that nobody is that way. It's not past victories. I'm here to worship today because I'm in love with Jesus right now. My sins are forgiven today. God reigns over me now. God made me now. God loves me right now. I'm not here today because when I was 12, something happened to me. No. We can't depend upon past victories. And then also, when we become worshipers, and I love this point that Troy brought out from, from last week's sermon, we never pass on. This is something that all of us need to hear. We never pass on to being independent. We never move to a place where, oh, okay, God worked in my life. He's helped me get on my feet now. I've got a job, got a family and all that. I no longer need to be dependent upon Christ. It should always be our song, like we just sang, that all I have is Christ. As Josh Powell would say, I am utterly and totally dependent upon Jesus at all times, completely. 
And when that is our attitude, then, then worship will come out because we are constantly looking at who God is and what God is doing. And the response to that is worship. Anything else uh, is, is, is coming from self. And, and sometimes we may be able to mask that like we're good Christian people, but it's not, a, it's not coming from who God is and what he's done. And so it's not really worship. Well, all of that is in chapter 15. We get to chapter 16. They're traveling through the wilderness. They were just singing about God's deliverance. They were just praising God for how awesome he is for setting them free. And now they're traveling to the promised land through the desert, through the wilderness. And it says in verse two, that the whole congregation of the people of Israel grumbled against God, against Moses, against Aaron in the wilderness. Look at verse three. And the people of Israel said to them, would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. The first point that I want you to hear today is that we grumble because we're frustrated. Very simple. We grumble because we're frustrated. The next time you're grumbling about something, remind yourself that you're just frustrated. You're just frustrated. We grumble because we're frustrated. Here's the deal. They're traveling. They're hiking. It's been a long time. They're in the desert. They're in the wilderness. And there's no food. They're hungry. They're weak. Y'all know how it is. Not when you've like an hour late on a meal, but like when you skipped a meal, you know how your stomach starts to hurt a little bit and your, your, your belly's hurting and you feel yourself weak and you're just not yourself. Snickers says that you're not you uh, when you haven't eaten, right? Uh, th- that's what happens. And that's them. And they're frustrated. But I want to remind you that we're, we're frustrated because we're self-centered. All we can think about is us and what we need. Or rather, us and what we think we need and what we want. I, I don't know about you, but I, I get so frustrated. And when I'm frustrated, I'm just so aware at how self-centered and selfish I am. I find myself when I'm frustrated saying things that I would never want you all to hear. Saying complaints that are so worldly, so Josh-centered, so not others thinking. We, we, we grumble because we're frustrated and we, we're frustrated because we're self-centered. And listen, we're self-centered because we are not Christ-centered. We can only think about us and our situation and circumstances when our eyes are not on Christ. That's why we sing good songs that say, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of the world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. When we are looking upon him, we're not looking at ourselves as much. And when we're not looking at ourselves as much, we're not as frustrated as much. And when we're not as frustrated as much, we're not grumbling people. But we do grumble because we are frustrated. That's their thing here. They're hungry. They're walking. They no longer have food. And so they're grumbling. Everybody's grumbling. They're all grumbling. Another point that I want to give you with grumbling being uh, we grumble because we're frustrated is is this. And I think this is hilarious. Grumbling is often very exaggerated. Right. I mean, that that bad day you had a month ago was the worst day ever, wasn't it? This is the worst day ever. This is the grossest food I've ever had in my life. The hottest day ever, right? The worst smell you've ever smelled. This is as tired as you've ever been. That's the meanest person I've ever had. The worst customer service I've ever had to deal with. And so on and so on and so on. Uh, Grumbling is often very, very exaggerated. And it is here. Look what they say in verse 3. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in in the land of Egypt... 
In other words, we, I would have rather died in Egypt. That's not true. They didn't want to be dead in Egypt. Do you remember when they were in Egypt? They were crying and crying and crying. God, rescue us, rescue us. They never once prayed, God, just kill us right now. Now, God, get us out of here, get us out of here, get us out of here. That's not true. But look what they say next. You brought us out into the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly, with hunger. So now they're saying to God, God, here's why you brought us out to the desert. You're going to kill us out here from starving. That's what you're going to do, God. What an exaggeration. What a grumbling complaint. They know God to be much better than that, much more faithful than that, uh, much more true to them than that. God, listen, God had just brought the ten plagues upon Pharaoh, power like we've never seen, brought the ten plagues upon Pharaoh, and in a most beautiful and strong-handed way, God said, He set them free from the power and, and, and the dictatorship of Pharaoh. So they saw that. Then they're going, and Pharaoh starts to attack them from behind, and they are trapped between mountains and the Red Sea, and there's nowhere for them to go, and God causes the Red Sea to part, causes them to pass through on dry, land, dry ground, and then kills the, uh, the other people, the Egyptians, coming for them who are trying to get them. They have just experienced all that. They're rejoicing and singing Exodus 15, the song of Moses. God's our deliverer. He's faithful. He's good to us. God, you're awesome. And literally, right after that, chapter 16, they're in the desert, they're hungry, and they're like, God, you brought us out here to kill us. Grumbling is so exaggerated. And you grumble because you're frustrated. Can I remind you it's not that bad? And when I'm changing Carolina's diaper and she's absolutely going ballistic like it's the worst thing ever, I've gotten to where I'll just say to her, it's not that bad, girl. It's not that bad. Give me ten more seconds and we'll be done. And as soon as you strap the diaper on, she's good. As soon as the diaper's on, you start buttoning her onesie back on, she's good to go like it's all well. So I've started saying, it's not that bad. Stop crying. Not that bad. Not that bad. Not that bad. It's not that bad. Okay, we're good. Hey, we, 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 we grumble because we're frustrated. And we're frustrated because we're self-centered. And we're self-centered because we're not Christ-centered. I want to ask you today if you're frustrated. It's been my experience that a lot of people in life are just frustrated. I remember my high school biology teacher teaching us a principle. I don't know if this is the name of it, but it was something like the, uh, the, the principle of misplaced anger. I don't know if that was the name of it, but that's what I'm going to call it. The, the principle of misplaced anger. And he talked about how when life's not going well, you have a bad day at work, you get caught in traffic, you spill your coffee, you know, that sort of thing. You come home and you're just boiling over. You can't wait to get into the house. You just want to sit down and chill out and have a drink and relax or whatever. You come home and the dog is peed in the kitchen. And so you're so mad you can't take it anymore, so you kick the dog. Because why did he do that, right? But everybody knows if you have a dog, every once in a while there's going to be an accident. It's not the dog's fault. But that whole bad day, okay, of everything going wrong, boiled over, boiled over, boiled over to what? Till you couldn't take it anymore. And so whatever the next thing was, was the breaking point. The dog peeing on the floor in the kitchen. And so you kicked the dog. Misplaced anger. We're frustrated. And can I, can I tell you here today that the reason why we're frustrated is because we're self-centered. And the reason why we're self-centered is because we're not Christ-centered. Can I tell you today that when you trust in Christ, your circumstances don't determine your joy or your peace or your contentment or your frustrations or your angers or your unhappiness. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace because He gives peace. And when He gives peace, it is a peace that surpasses all understanding. 
It is the peace that will indeed praise you in the storm. It is a peace that says, I should be so mad right now. But I'm not. God's got me. I want to ask you if you're frustrated today. If you're reminded at how much you grumble. And I want to ask you if you would admit today that your grumblings and your frustrations are because you're self-centered and not Christ-centered. Along those lines, number two, we grumble because we doubt God's ability and provision. Number one, we grumble because we're frustrated. But number two, we grumble because we doubt God's ability and provision. Look at verse four. Then the Lord said to Moses, behold, I am about to rain bread from heaven for you and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day that I may test them whether they will walk in my law or not. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather daily. So Moses and Aaron said to all the people of Israel at evening, you shall know that it was the Lord who brought you out of the land of Egypt and in the morning. You shall see the glory of the Lord. Now, notice from here how many times he's going to mention uh, the grumbling. And in the morning, verse seven, you shall see the glory of the Lord because he has heard your grumbling against the Lord. For what are we that you grumble against us? And Moses said, when the Lord gives you in the evening meat to eat and in the morning bread to full to the full, because the Lord has heard your grumbling that you grumble against him. What are we? Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, say to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, come near before the Lord, for he has heard your grumbling. And as soon as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the people of Israel, they looked toward the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. And the Lord said to Moses, I have heard the grumbling of the people of Israel say to them at twilight, you shall eat meat and in the morning you shall be filled with bread. Then you shall know that I am the Lord, your God. In this passage, we see a hungry people who are now a grumbling people being led by God, and they have already forgotten that God has promised them He's going to take care of them. They just need to trust Him, and so they're not doing that. And so God comes back and saying, I'm going to take care of you. He's going to take care of them even in a supernatural way. This is the passage in the Bible where we learn about manna, this this bread that God is going to provide for them. And he's going to provide bread in the morning. He's going to provide quail meat at night for them every day. And he says that he's going to do that. But he says he's going to do it because he has heard their grumblings and heard their grumblings and heard their grumblings. Notice that their problem is that they think. They're not being taken care of. Now, they want to say that our problem is that we don't have food. But bigger than that is they don't think they're ever going to have food. They don't think God's going to give them food. Notice. Yeah, you could say that their problem is with their circumstances. They don't have food. But it's really much more than that. It's not in their circumstances. Their problem is they don't think God's going to give them food. They don't think it's an option that God will provide food. You know, we don't make the New Testament passage fit with the Old Testament passage every time we read. But isn't it very fitting that here today that God put it together in Exodus 16 that they don't have food. And so they're complaining. And in Mark, whatever chapter that Josh Womble read today, uh, the, the problem, I think it's chapter four, they didn't have food. And we see Jesus, you know, this passage, Jesus comes to a boy who has his lunch, five loaves of bread and two fish and feeds five thousand with it. 
Right. So the circumstances there were how are we going to feed all these hungry people? And from our worldly, earthly circumstances, there was not a way. But with God, there was a way. Will we trust him? Will he provide that sort of a thing? And here, that's what's happening. They're, they're grumbling and their frustration, they think, is with their food or their their, 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 their lack of food. And so they they start to really complain. But then God speaks up and says, I'm hearing your grumblings. He says it five times. I hear you complain. A sub point I want you to hear is that all God always hears your complaints. You know, there's a lot of complaints you don't say if certain people are listening, right? Like if your wife, if your wife's going to hear it, then you don't want to say it. If your mom's listening, you, you don't want to say it. I mean, you got to look at Facebook or Twitter for a little bit, and you'll see people complaining all the time, all the time, complaints, complaints, complaints. It, it's, it's ridiculous, but they don't really, they don't really want their moms or their dads to see it. They don't really want their their spouses to see it. They don't really want their their work to see it. It's hilarious to me when people on social media are so are so bad about their jobs and complaining about this or complaining about that. They don't want certain people to see it. But can can I show you today that this passage clearly says that God hears everyone? And, and it's one thing to complain about bad service at McDonald's, but it's another thing to complain about bad service from God. And, and that's really what our problem is. And Moses brings this out. Look what he says in verse seven. He says, for what are we that you grumble against us? Again, in verse eight, he says, you're, you're grumbling against us. What, what are we? You're not complaining against us. Moses and Aaron had no ability to provide for the people of God. They were just the leaders that God spoke through. You're, you're complaining against me. And why? That's what they're saying. But then look what he says at the very end of verse 8. This is what I want you to get. Your grumbling is not against us, but against the Lord. And, and ouch. You know, this past week in Ecuador, I was grumbling a lot. I'd get frustrated. We didn't have a car there, so we had to use public transportation. And taxis and trolleys and buses in a third world country are are really dangerous. They're overcrowded. Every seat's full. Every standing area is full. People are sitting on you, leaning on you. It's crazy. I got my four kids there. Everybody's telling me to guard my pockets. I'm, I'm, I'm stressed as can be. I noticed that my hair was too long, so I went to get a haircut. And I told Val I can do it by myself. So I go get a haircut in a Spanish-speaking barbershop. And I, once I sat down in the chair, it dawned upon me that my, my vocabulary with food and in the house is pretty good. And my vocabulary around church life is pretty good. And my vocabulary on the street is pretty good. But I have zero vocabulary for the barbershop. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know how to say anything. I didn't know how to say a fade, taper, short. You know, I didn't know any of that. So next thing I know, I sat down and she gives me this. I've already had like 30 of y'all... Laugh, smile, joke about this haircut this morning. Now, I said it looks like if you watch soccer, I said it looks like a mix between Ronaldo and Neymar's ridiculous haircuts. Last night I went to bed. And I said, Val, I just need to buzz all this off for tomorrow. I don't want to go through it. She said, give it one day. She wanted to embarrass me in front of you all. But I found myself every time that we were like hot or I was nauseous on the bus or whatever, complaining to my wife like this. Is, this is too hard. Uh, Caroline is crying. The boys are getting frustrated. I'm, I'm hungry. You know, that sort of thing. And I would go on top of all that. I got this haircut walking around. And I, I was so frustrated. But you know what hurts is that you know, so many of things of those things I could have controlled. And so many of those things I, I couldn't control. My grumblings are not really with the circumstances. I should have known better than try to get a haircut at a Spanish-speaking barbershop. 
My, my grumblings are often a frustration toward God. You know, I had prayed and prayed that Mr. Junior Stivers would not pass away while I was in Ecuador. I love the Stivers family so much. He passes away right, right in the very center of our trip. I wasn't able to be there. I've been in Fairdale now going on 12 years. Junior and Laverne Stivers and their four sons, some of the dearest people to me in the whole world. Surely I'd be there to love on them and hug their necks and preach his funeral. But I wasn't. I was frustrated with that. I sent an email to all of them. I did a Facebook message to all of them. I sent a message to Jason Fowler to read at the funeral. But I was frustrated with that. But Moses tells us here that when they're hungry and complaining, saying, God, you're going to kill us out here with starvation. Moses says, you're, you're not grumbling against us. You're grumbling against God. Well, what does it mean that you're grumbling against God? It means that you're not trusting him. You're not trusting that he will take care of you. Listen to me, church. At the end of the day, what it means to be a Christian is that God will take care of you completely. We fall on him and we stand in him. Every one of us here have sinned against God. We are a sinful people. Now, we're, we're good folks too. Y'all are nice. But we've sinned against God. You don't sin all the time, but we sin. We, at times, don't trust Him. We, at times, disobey. At times, we rebel. At times, we are very self-centered. We sin. And how in the world are those sins going to be dealt with? There is no such thing as somebody who's good enough, fine enough, okay enough to come right before God and say, I, I know I did some bad, but I did a lot of good. Are you, are you impressed? That, that will not happen. That conversation won't even happen with God. There won't be a chance for that. We have to be forgiven of our sins. In order to go to heaven and be right with God, we have to go to God in pure, awesome, perfect holiness. And you're thinking, well, I can never do that. And you're right. We're not. You're not going to be able to. I'm not going to be able to. Nobody is. In other words, we need help. We need a Savior. And the Bible says that Jesus, when we were in our worst spot, while we were yet sinners before God, in that spot, a holy God looking at us sinful people, Christ died for us. And if any one of us will turn all of our dependency to Jesus and trust God that Jesus died for our sins, He will forgive us of our sins. And as we believe that and repent, turn our back upon our old ways, our sinful self, as we turn our back upon that and look to Christ, the Bible says that God forgives us. The Bible says that God washes away our sins. The Bible says that God removes our transgressions from us. The Bible says that God picks us up and brings, listen to me, brings us. The Bible says that we're not able to bring ourselves to God. But He, in the death of Christ and the forgiveness of the sins, brings us to God. 
And if you're here today and you're frustrated because you're self-centered and you realize you're not Christ-centered, and those frustrations here this moment are, 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 are being eye-opened to the fact that, wow, those are not actually with my circumstances. Those are actually with God. And we like to make excuses, but at the end of the day, our excuses are just what they are. You know, I had a great conversation with baseball coach, coach Hicks, well now basketball coach, Coach Hicks, up at the high school. And he said something that was so true, something that Bible-believing Christians believe. He said, you know what? You know what really uh, ticks you off the most in life? He says the truth. I love hearing a coach say stuff like that. Players need to hear the truth sometimes. Sinners need to hear the truth too. And here's the truth. You, you need God. You can't be in life without God. Not as a, not as a, a sidekick helpmate, but as a savior that you've launched yourself onto and said, catch me God, I have no other hope. Because whoever comes to him, he will in no way cast out. Romans 10, 11, one of my favorite verses says, whoever believes in Jesus will not be disappointed. What a good verse. They will not be put to shame. Our grumblings are against God, whether we admit that or realize that or not. We don't think he will take care of us. Now, with that said, I want you to think about all of the grumblings that you hear. And then think about them through the, the eyes of, is that against God? I think about married people that I hear complaining about their spouse. God will take care of you through that. I think about all the single people that I know who, who complain that they're never going to get married. They complain that they can't find somebody. How many times you heard a girl say there's no good guys out there? How many times you heard a guy say there's no good girls out there, right? And we get complaining, and these, these are issues of us not trusting God through it. And when I say trust God, it's, it's well, what does, what does God tell me to do in this situation? How does God want me to be right here? What, is, what has He said? These people are complaining that they don't have food and they think that God's going to starve them to death. And God is about to supply food for them every single morning and every single night. Perfect provision for them. And they've just forgotten that God does things like that. We forget. We forget what God has done. Can you remember that God takes care of you? And so in the future, by faith, trust, God will take care of me. Philippians 4.19 says that in my God shall supply all of your needs. All of your needs. According to his glorious riches in Christ. He hears our grumblings. He also wants us to depend upon him. We just sang in great is thy faithfulness. All I have needed, thy hand has provided. Do you know God to be faithful? Do you know God to take care of you? And so therefore, the next time you think he's not, instead of grumbling, God doesn't take care of me, trusting he will. Are you upset? Are you guilty about your sins? Are you making excuses for your sins? Are you ignoring your sins? 
Do you compare yourselves to other people? And, you know, the worst thing about comparing yourselves to other people, well, two things. One, if you're comparing yourselves to people who have a better circumstance than you, then you're going to get mad and you're going to complain that you don't have it good. And that happens a lot. But also what happens, and this is what we're really good at, is we'll find people that are more of a mess to us and compare ourselves to them and then build ourselves up that we're doing well. This happens all the time with young people, right? We'll, we'll pick out the worst person and compare ourselves to them and think, man, I'm doing really good. I'm better than them. Can we stop comparing ourselves to each other? Set our eyes upon Christ. Allow our identity of who we are, what we're good at and what we're bad at. Will we allow the truth to tick us off sometimes as our, as our good, faithful basketball coach taught me? Will we allow that to happen and, and just stand up sometimes and say, here's an area of my life where I'm not honoring God. Now, uh, everybody in the room has, has areas where you honor God. I know that. Everybody in the room has some areas in your life where you honor God. But what it means for us to be a Christian is we want every single area in our life to be worshipped to Him, what Troy preached on the past two weeks. We want God to be honored with our lives. And if we are not going to totally trust in Him in every area and call out to Him for the forgiveness of sins, stop looking at all the good we do only and also recognize our shortcomings, our neglect of Him, our, our disobedience or whatever, and, and to turn to Christ and say, God, forgive me of my sins. Be a Savior to me. Be a Lord God to me, over me, in which I live my life through by faith. That's what it means. And He wants them to see this, that... That God will provide. God is able to do that. Would we just trust him and we grumble because we do not? And lastly, thirdly. Is that God is more trustworthy than our own selves, our own hearts and our own abilities. Start reading in verse 13 and you'll see this very clearly. In the evening, quail came up and covered the camp. And in the morning, dew lay down around the camp. And when the dew had gone up, there was on the face of the wilderness a fine flake-like thing, fine as frost on the ground. When the people of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread that the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather of it. Each one of you, as much as he can eat, you shall each take an omer according to the number of the persons that each of you has in his tent. The people of Israel did so. They gathered some more and some less. But when they measured it with an omer, whoever gathered much had nothing left over. And whoever gathered little had no lack. Each of them gathered as much as he could eat. And Moses said to them, let no one leave any of it over till the morning. But they did not listen to Moses. Some left part of it till the morning. And it bred worms and it stank. And Moses was angry with them. Morning by morning they gathered it. Each as much as he could. But when the sun grew hot, it melted. On the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers each. And when all the leaders of the congregation came and told Moses, he said to them, This is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil. And all that is left over lay aside to, to be kept till the morning. So, so they laid it aside till the morning. And as Moses commanded them, it did not stink and there were no worms in it. Moses said, Eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field. Six days you shall gather it. But on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. On the seventh day, some of the people went out together to gather, but they found none. And the, and the Lord said to Moses, how long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See, the Lord has given you the Sabbath. Therefore, on the sixth day, he gives you bread for two days. Remain each of you in his place. 
Let no one go out of his place on the seventh day. So the people rested on the seventh day. And in this passage, we have here God's trustworthiness, God's ability, God's faithfulness, God's God's heart is so much better and stronger than ours. And and I know that what it means to be a a good, hardworking, Fairdalian American is that I'm going to take care of me. And that's awesome. You need to have that. You need to have that work ethic, all of those things. But at the end of the day, you need to realize that is still not enough. I need to be a person who's dependent upon God. And you see this very clearly here. What God is going to do for his starving, complaining people is provide food for them every single day. But he's going to provide food for them in a way that promotes and creates trust. He's not going to make it where they can stop trusting them. But notice that the heart of a human is to take what God's given, make it mine so that we don't need God. Listen to me. You want to take what God's given you, make it yours so that you no longer need God. So many of us Americans are this way. We have taken the blessing of God, maybe the provision of God through work and through stewardship or whatever. And we've learned how to take care of ourselves. And then we think, well, I know how to take care of myself. I don't need God to take care of me. That's not what God wants. God wants us in our faithfulness to be wise and learn from him and in understanding to take care of ourselves because we are dependent upon God's taking care of us. And you see this here. Look at this. The first thing is the leftovers. God says each day I want you to go out and get just what you need. If you got a big family, get a lot. You got a little family, get a little. Get just what you need. Don't ever, ever, ever try to keep enough for tomorrow. Right. And we never think this way. How many years have you had leftover Halloween candy? It, it, it's, it's July right now. I think we still have a bucket in the kitchen of Halloween candy. Because we, we're just not geared to think, I can't really eat that much candy, so I'm just going to get a few. We get as much as we want, always. It's the way us Americans think, right? Bigger's better, more is better. But God says, don't do that. I want to teach you to trust in my provision. Get enough today that you need today with this food. But they don't listen. So they get too much. And when they get too much, what happens when they wake up? It has spoiled. And it stunk. And there were worms there. So guess what? Now they're mad. They're frustrated. They've got to clean it up. They've got to do all that. But whose fault was that? Theirs. They did not trust God. Well, then it comes time for the Sabbath. And on the Sabbath, you're not. they weren't supposed to work. They're supposed to rest. Trust God. So God says that on that day... They can get two days worth, enough for Friday and then enough for Saturday because Saturday's the Sabbath. And so they go out. Well, when they do that, guess what happens? It doesn't spoil. It doesn't stink. It doesn't breed worms. Why? Because God is taking care of them. And what God wants them to know is you do what I say. You do what I say. See, our frustrations come when we think we don't have to listen to God. We found a little toy store in Ecuador and they had these little, these little toys, kind of like Legos that the boys loved and they didn't hardly cost anything. And so one day I bought JJ and Eli Noah one of these little toys and they loved it and they were like, can we, can we get another? Can we go back? Can we get another? Can we go back? And they just begging me and begging me. And so finally I said, here's the deal. You go all day tomorrow without mentioning to me one time those toys and I'll get it for you. So go the next day and it's about lunchtime. JJ's kind of like, we're going back by the store? Wait, we can go back by there? You have any more money in your pocket? Did you forget about me? You know, saying everything he could without asking about the toy. Well, after lunch, finally he's like, are we getting a toy? When are we going back there? 
Can we go get a toy? Dad, we're going to get a toy. Dad, you said that we get a toy today, and I think we're leaving tomorrow, so you're not going to be able to get a toy. Well, what are we going to do? And I said, JJ, I told you. You ask, you're not getting it. I want you to just listen to me. So the next day, he didn't ask. And I was able to go to the store without him. I bought them, stuffed them in my backpack. The day ended. Trip was over. We're at the airport. He's probably mad at me, but he hadn't mentioned it that day. Probably mad, though. He thinks I forgot about him, whatever. We got to the airport. We got through the hardest part ever, security, immigration, customs, all of that. So hard part. And I pulled out my backpack and said, here you go. I gave him each that toy. Now, you and I got to know that God is able to take care of us when it doesn't look like he's taking care of us. God is able to be a good father to us when you and I are thinking he's not a good father to me. And that is a self-centered frustration. He tells them, don't gather more than you need. They gather more than they need and it spoils. He tells them to gather more than you need because tomorrow's a Sabbath. They do it and it doesn't spoil. Then he says, because I'm doing that for you, do not. It's the third way here. Do not go out on the Sabbath and gather. And what happens? They go out on a Sunday, to, on a Saturday, to gather even more. And look what it says. Verse 24. No, sorry. Verse 28. How long will you refuse to keep my commandments and my laws? See. In other words, why do you keep trying to fall into, I don't need God. I'm okay. Y'all, that's not the right way. That's not worship. That's not Christianity. At the heart of our grumblings, our frustrations, and our frustrations are because we doubt the ability of God to provide for us and to take care of us. But yet the comfort and the truth is, is that God is more trustworthy than our own selves, than our hearts and our abilities. I want to close with you looking at Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. In the middle of the New Testament, it's kind of after Ephesians. Do you remember with Jesus and Lazarus what happened? Lazarus died. Do you remember Jesus coming there and as Jesus walks up to Lazarus dead, his sisters were, were all upset saying, Jesus, if you'd have gotten here, he'd have died. It's already been four days now. We know that he's in the tomb and his, his body's already decaying and all of that. You remember that passage? See, they were frustrated and they were, they were frustrated because they were self-centered. All they could think about was, was their perspective, not the God perspective. And yet when you factor in what God can do in any situation, there is a hope. And so their, their, their grumbling, their frustrations were, were quickly overruled by God's ability to raise Lazarus from the dead. And so I, I want to encourage you all from the truth of the word of God to be a people who say. Jesus is my Lord, my king. He's forgiven me of my sins. I can trust him. And therefore, we would not be a grumbling people. Folks, let me just tell you, the people of God are not to be complainers. Because complaining shows a lack of trust in God. At Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, 
He says, therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. In other words, he's saying, you know that God is at work in you. But look what he says in verse 14. Do all things without grumbling. Do you see that? A New Testament imperative to us, the church. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. But keep reading. That you may be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Among whom you shine as lights in the world. Holding fast to the word of life. So that in that day, so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless. Listen, if you're a complainer, grumbler, it may be because you just don't trust Christ. You're not saved. You don't have that perspective. If that's the case, I ask you to change that. I ask you today to believe on Christ. Become a Christian. Ask God to forgive you of your sins. But if you're a if you're are a Christian and you're a complainer, which that's that's possible. But you know what it means? It means you're not blameless and innocent. It means you're compromising all that God is in you. And instead of being a light to the world, you're not. You're a shadow to the world. Because the grumbling and complaining is causing you to look like one who does not trust God. And I certainly don't want to be the person who knows in my heart and mind that I trust God, but to you all it looks like I don't. And living in America where we have a lot of people who claim to be Christians, it really is kind of murky who really is, isn't it? And the Bible tells us to display what God has done in us. And can you hear today that grumbling and complaining is one of the, the clearest ways to look like you don't trust God? But perhaps the best way to say, I'm a believer, I'm a child of God, is when you display trust that he will take care of you. God's got me. My emotions, my circumstances, but God's got me. Folks, life doesn't get any easier, but God certainly does take care of us. Let's be those that trust Him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank You. Father, thank You that in this passage we see so much a picture of ourselves in this Old Testament book of the people of Israel traveling through the wilderness, complaining. Father, we pray that You would help us to see ourselves, that we grumble because we're frustrated. God, help us to deal with these frustrations. Help us to bring them to you. Help us to trust in Christ. Father, we, we love you. We thank you, God, that you love us. And that in your love and, and faithfulness, goodness and grace, you'll forgive us. May we be those who know how to trust you. Give us strength to do that, Father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.